And he, he was a bit like the Apostle Paul in, uh, in Nepal, in a, in a minor way. He, everywhere he went, he treated it as a mission trip. And, uh, and we tagged along with him for a couple of weeks through villages uh, up in the, uh, the Midwest region in Nepal. And he gave me this uh, on a little card when I left. Um, it just says, when I am afraid, he is my courage. When I am alone, he is my companion. When I am confused, he is my counsellor. When I am challenged, he is my confidence. When I am hurting, he is my comforter. When I am broken, he is complete. And I kept that in my Bible for, for years. And, uh, and I've memorised it now. Um, and it was one of those things that he used to carry around with him. And he said to me, sometimes I go into a village and they completely reject the gospel. And he says, I almost get thrown out. And he says, I just come back to the Holy Spirit and he comforts me. And I'll move on. <laughs> and he was full of joy, this guy. He had something. He had something that was uh, a bit of a secret, really. And we've been talking about father's love this morning, about the father. But there's the mother as well, the other side of it. The nurturing. I like to think that mothers, um, they see a seed in us and they nurture it and they watch it grow and then they look in pride at what, what grows. And I know my mum does that. You know, when I turn up there this afternoon, I'll get a hug and a kiss and she'll look me in the eye. And there's that connection that you never lose. And that's precious. It's really good to revisit the Father's heart um, as, a, as a topic, as, as the conference went by, um, God just softened me up. It felt like I was um, almost like my heart was in a boxing ring with God going, you're not getting me at the start. <laughs> I've done all this before. <laughs> Read the book, got the t-shirt, um, had the healing, thanks very much, I'll be off. And he went, no, <laughs> there's always more, isn't there? And um, towards the end... I responded to prayer, and I just got really touched by God. It was just lovely. It really was, uh, you know, affirming, like you said this morning, really affirming. He, he reminded me that I'm his son, that I'm royalty, like uh, Bob said this morning. You are a prince, a princess. That's how he views you. That I'm loved and I'm wanted. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, you know. It really is. Well, um, this is my seventh speaking engagement this week. Um, I've done five assemblies, spoken to over a thousand kids, all teenagers, <laughs> and spoke at C4 Wednesday night, which I really enjoyed. Thanks, guys. Um, and then this morning. Um, on two of those assemblies, by the way, I got a spontaneous round of applause, I'd like to say. So I have high expectations this morning. <laughs> and I, I'm used to speaking to people who don't want to listen. Um, so <laughs> um, we actually had a guy in on the fifth one. Um, with the year 11s, they're 16, going on 17, and I've been in there a lot. Um, and we had this guy in who came in to sort of do it with me, and he was not a very good speaker. So he stood there, and he, he did his presentation on his PowerPoint, and he went, slide number one shows you. And he went through his list of what it shows you, and we could see it showed that. And he just said, and then slide number two shows you. And he went through number two, he went through number three. And I, I was looking at the kids, and looking at him, looking at kids, looking at him, I was thinking, some of them are going to die soon. You know, they're going <laughs> to... There's going to be one go off a chair, you know. But he kept going, and eventually I intervened. I went, okay, thanks for that. <laughs> Back into sort of presenter mode, and, um, and sort of rescued him. I had to help the guy, and he, he was quite a senior guy, really. I just thought, you need to practice your speaking, you know. But then I do it all the time, so I suppose I'm a bit blessed in that way. 
Um, on Wednesday night, I spoke about the centrality of the heart and how important the heart is. Um, interesting, we're going back into the heart again. Um, God wants your heart. Men, God wants your heart. He doesn't want some of your heart or most of it. He wants all of your heart handed over when you become a Christian. And some of us, we do that, and then we go, I'll just have that bit back. I, just, I wasn't quite ready to give you that bit. <laughs> and I'm just going to have that bit back, and I'm going to hold on to that, and then we have to go through years of dealing with those issues. So I encourage you this morning to give your whole heart, especially you men, um, because you tend to be the best at hiding these things. Um, I know I am one. Um, so, yeah, this morning, this message um, feels different. It feels like um, God's given me this message very specifically for this morning. This isn't something I've ever said before. And I feel that when I was praying about this, that God said very clearly, this is what I want you to say. So I believe that this morning is quite significant. Let's move on. Oh, it didn't work. It worked before. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you move it on one, please? Yeah. I don't know what your experience of fire is. Um, I come from a family that has a pyromaniac in it, um, a confirmed pyromaniac. Uh, my, my dad's uncle, Ken, who I visited once as a, as a kid, um, only once, when he was 17, was arrested um, in the West Country for setting fire to barns, hay bales, anything he could light, really. Um, that was his hobby, going around setting fire to stuff. And he went into court. The magistrate said to him, I'll give you a choice, young man. You can either go to prison for your crimes, because he was serious about that. He was going to send him to, well, I suppose, what would have been a juvenile prison at the time. Or he said, or I will give you the option of joining the armed forces. This was a long time ago. They don't do that anymore. And he took the option, the second one. He went into the forces. He went to the RAF as a, as a carpenter, working with wood. Dangerous. <laughs> but it, apparently they, they got him in line. He didn't set fire to anything. And then... Um, he became a master carpenter, a master craftsman. Um, he once told me that um, he was slightly proud of this. He's not a Christian, this guy at all. He, he said that he built the cradle that held the first atomic bomb that we built. Uh, he actually built the cradle that held it in the plane. I was like, right, okay. You know, <laughs> so he probably wasn't supposed to tell me that. But yeah, clever guy. And I recall um, having similar tendencies as a teenager um, in the back garden. We had a very long back garden. And at the end of our garden, there was a, a shed, a very old shed. You know what old wood is like when it lights? I thought, hmm, got a box of matches. I was staring at this shed out the window one day. I thought, I'll just go down there and have a look. You know? <laughs> got down there and I thought, I'll just, I'll just light the top of the door. You know, just see what happens, see how quickly it goes up. Just experimenting. You know? Don't ever do this, kids. Um, it's a really bad idea. It lit quite quick and it went. Uh, I ran and got some water and just... Choked it over it. I thought, well, maybe I won't do that again. And the next time I did it was with petrol. So <laughs> I got away with it. Don't do it. Um, yeah, fire takes hold and it's, it's, it's very hard to extinguish once it gets hold. Um, a friend of mine at school, this would have been, oh dear, back in the 80s, a uh, James Bond film came out, no idea which one. And in this James Bond film, there were some gas canisters that were used as a flamethrower or something like that. My friend at school thought it would be a great idea if he tried that out in his dad's garage. He got some um, propane canisters, let them out, uh, and set a match. And he had skin grafts for years. Um, he was disfigured in the uh, resulting blaze. 
So you don't mess about with fire. You don't mess about with fire. When, when there's fuel, heat and oxygen, there's no stopping it. Um, you see the, these forest fires, don't you, um, in, in Canada and, and Australia and places like that. I remember meeting someone once over in the Rockies, and his job during the summer was to fight fires. And during the winter, he had a normal job. <laughs> and he said, all of us fight fires in the summer, it's our job, and there's always work. And he said, basically, we dig trenches and we form a fire break because we can't put the fire out. It's impossible. It burns too ferociously and it leaps across. So they have to um, just slash, and slash all the trees, form a massive break, dig a hole, so the fire can't get over it. That's how they do it. You don't mess with fire. You don't try and fight it sometimes. So this is not a flippant message about the fire of God's coming this morning. There's real power at work here. And sometimes we use symbolism like fire um, to symbolize the way something feels. Uh, and the Holy Spirit sometimes feels like fire. Sometimes it feels like he's all over you, burning. And we've experienced that here in recent years. We've experienced being consumed by the fire of God. I remember being here on Sunday nights and feeling completely overwhelmed by the fire of God. I remember feeling like it was like, like clothes on me, like there were flames just licking up over me. But strangely, they were cold flames. And... But what for? Sometimes it would embolden you. So you go out the door, and the next day you'd immediately start sharing your faith. So it had a purpose. Other times it was fire for healing. So you go and you feel it on your hands, and you go and pray for somebody, and something would happen. I believe that this, this fire is fresh fire, that this is fire, this new fire that God wants to bring is to do with the Elijah anointing. When we had the, the two prophets here, David and David. <laughs> Uh, I think it was Dave Devonish, said about, uh, we're looking for revival, but it may not look like it's always looked. It may not look the way we expect it to look. And I think this is something to do with this, in the sense that God hasn't changed who he is, or what he is like, but our society has changed around us. And therefore, God's going to do something different. He's not necessarily just going to fire up Christians and send them out. Because that used to work when people would sit and listen. You guys are really good at listening, by the way. You're much better than teenagers. I haven't had to tell anyone to tuck their shirt in or anything or sit up. <laughs> people used to, you used to be able to go into a town in England, when, back in the medieval times, call everyone together and speak to them. And you'd get 10,000 people standing in a field in the rain to hear the gospel. That wouldn't happen these days. It's raining. Most people are in Tesco's. So it's not going to work quite like that. I believe that God wants to, us to receive new fire, but this fire wasn't just for us to get worked up and bold. It will do that, but it's, this is about being released to the community supernaturally. This is a fire that's going to go onto us, and then we're going to direct it out at strongholds. Uh, people's lives, our workplaces, our neighbourhoods, through the power of prayer. And this fire is for the prayer warriors. I'm going to read you um, the prophets of Baal. Just uh, move it on, if it will. Yeah. 1 Kings 18. Um, you, you'd be familiar with this story. It's Elijah again. 1 Kings 18, 20 to 39, if you want to have a look. Give you a chance to find it. This is the prophets of Baal defeated. So Ahab, Captain Ahab, (laughs) 
sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left the prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people answered, it is well spoken. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull, and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. They limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering, and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And he did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So Elijah called on fire for a purpose. He wasn't just into it for the goosebumps. He was after something more than that. He was after real change in his community. He was the only one left. He was taking a huge risk with his own life, which went quite well. He demonstrated the lordship and sovereignty of God. I believe the significance, and perhaps a parallel here, is that the prophets of Baal, and Baal himself, are like the gods in our society at the moment. They're a bit like those little gods that we all have, Um, around us, the secularism, the selfishness, the worldliness that define our age. Those are the gods we're up against. And I don't think it's our job to take them on personally. God wants to do it. 
We don't need to go out there and fight against those things. They're much bigger than us. But God can. And these gods are going to be shown to be worthless in the light of what God will do through us. You see, we look weak, but we're strong. When we think we're weak, that's when we're strongest. (laughs) Because actually God uses the weak, the downtrodden, the broken and the helpless and the poor to do amazing things. He always does it. Let's move on to Joshua. Yeah. Joshua 24, 15. It's just one verse. Um, Follow it with me if you want to. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because this is personal. And Joshua was saying there, you've got to choose for yourself who you will serve. Will you serve the gods around us? Consumerism, whatever it is. Having the best thing, better than your neighbour. Or will you choose to put your effort into serving the Lord? The Lord's calling us to make a choice. Choose whom you will serve. Don't be ashamed of God. His kingdom is here and is coming. Let's go to Matthew 6. See what Jesus had to say. Verse 24. I realise I'm just quoting individual verses here. I have read the whole chapter around them. I encourage you to do that. Read the context. Um, It's just for sake of time. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is crucial because it's really tempting for Christians to be swallowed up in this. recently read a book by a guy called Graham Tomlin called Spiritual Fitness. It was all about consumerism versus the church. He, he points the picture. He says, why is it that health clubs and gyms are doing so well? Have so many members, but churches are shrinking in our country. Some churches. He points out several key points, some really good points. He, he says, actually, what health clubs offer people is wellness. We say, come here, we'll help you get well, physically and emotionally and mentally. They offer all sorts of different things. There's even a cafe and somewhere for your kids to play. They're offering stuff that the church maybe isn't in some places. And people want that. People want their needs met. And people want um, what they want (laughs) now. (laughs) And they're happy to pay for it. That's, That's the spirit of our age. And the danger is that church becomes like that. You turn up on a Sunday and you consume. And you go, okay, give me the word. Give me the good songs. I don't like that song. I'm not going to sing that one. I like that one. And if we don't sing the songs you like, you get upset. And it's, it's really dangerous, that, actually, because that's the consumer. It's the spirit of the age coming in. And we don't want that. We want to actually push that back. And God's going to do that. I spoke on Wednesday about the heart, and I'm sure all of us have surrendered our hearts to Jesus that we're not um, holding anything back. Okay. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus also said, um, 20 and 21, uh, just previous to what I just read, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, And this is important. Okay, our treasure shouldn't be on earth. It should be somewhere else. It should be in heaven. 
I'm not criticising rich people or wealthy. That's not what I'm trying to say here. That it takes all people to get along. And that's the way the world works. However, what we do and our attitude to all of that is really crucial. Okay, let's move on. Let's go back to Elijah and see what happened next. Uh, in 1 Kings 18, 41 to 46, uh, the story goes on. Elijah said to Ahab, um, well, I've missed out one verse um, because it involves a massacre. Okay? <laughs> After what happened before, they basically got hold of all the prophets and killed them. <clears throat> so, <laughs> Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. Now, bear in mind, at this point, it hadn't rained for three years because Elijah had said it couldn't. Okay. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down to, on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servants, Go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And he went up and looked, and he said, Sorry, and at the seventh time... He said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. That's faith. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is a model. Elijah saw what God wanted to do, And then he told people. And he said, you know what? It's going to rain. He went to the top of Mount Carmel. And excuse me a minute, I'm going to have to kneel down here. He did this. He got down there on his knees. It never works with a microphone. Put his face between his knees. Sometimes in church we're a bit cautious. English, whatever you want to call it. When people say kneel, those sorts of things. We're a little bit reticent about doing things like that. Elijah knelt down, put his face between his knees. I believe there's significance in the fire and the rain. The fire that comes will be to consume the things we know are from the enemy because we can't fight them. And the rain will water the soil for new life to spring forth, just like in the real world. Did you know that there are um, what they call pioneer species in forests? around the world. Um, In Canada, they told us about this. They said there are some trees that the seeds cannot break open until they get to a superheated temperature. So the survival of that species of tree depends upon fire. And when forest fires come, the seeds break open and they're able to grow. And I believe that that's significant. God wouldn't have done that otherwise. That there is... Those forest fires, although they're an inconvenience to man... They're actually essential for the survival of the forest. And the world you know, is designed this way. So the fire will consume things, but new things will grow. Let's look at James 5, 16b to 18, just the second half of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. See, James makes reference to this in the New Testament. That's how significant it is as a model for us. We must pray. Okay, 
Luke 12. Sorry, I'm whizzing through quite quickly here. Don't want to go on too long. 54 to 56. This is called interpreting the time. He also said to the crowds, this is Jesus, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there'll be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Of course, Jesus was talking to people that were violently opposed to him, in many cases, and some that were devoted to him, who still didn't get it. I wonder if we've been guilty a little bit, because when I, when I prepared this, I thought, that's a bit harsh. Can I really stand there and say, hypocrites, it's Kingdom Life Church? I'm not saying that. But I, I prayed about it and reflected on it myself, said, am I a hypocrite? And I wonder if I've been guilty, if we've been guilty of reacting badly to what's going on in society, if we've actually had a bad reaction to it. Um, have we criticised and argued when we could have prayed in faith? Have we been offended morally and spoken out against it but failed to pray? I think I might have done, actually. And I've repented of that. Because I wrote to my MP about the homosexual marriage thing. I disagreed with it. And he wrote back, so I wrote back again, and I got into an argument with him. And I thought, this isn't doing any of us any good. He's getting more and more opposed to my view because he thinks I'm a bigot. I'm thinking he's never going to learn because he's a politician and I'm getting cynical. And actually, all I need to do is pray for the guy. Pray for the guy to notice that there's something wrong in our society. Maybe then he'll change his mind. So I ask God to forgive me for that. You know, it's a bit like we we go into the darkness. It's like going into a massive darkness and just lighting a match. It has an effect. It does have an effect. You know, you can do a lot of good and people will notice it with your little match. But God can switch the light on. And all we need to do is say, God, can you please push back this darkness? Boom. Gone. In an instant. But we, we try and do it with our matches. Like me with the shed. <laughs> yeah. So how should we pray? Great prayers. I'm going to go through a few here. Hannah was the first one. Um, if you know 1 Samuel, chapter 2. Um, this is a great one for Mother's Day. <laughs> As you, you may know, um, Hannah was the, the mother of Samuel the prophet. And the book is named after Samuel. Samuel went on to anoint David king and all the rest of it. Um, and this was what she prayed uh, when she brought Samuel to the temple to dedicate him to God. And she was prepared to leave him there as, a, as a, an infant. Um, she prayed and said, this is verses 1 to 10, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Those of you who have done A-level English, studied Shakespeare, you know what that means. Um, the horn is symbolic of the, uh, the pride of your life. Okay, so it's your strength. Uh, my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, which means hell, and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. 
He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honour. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This was a woman. And in the context of those days, women weren't supposed to have that kind of faith. They weren't supposed to speak out in the synagogue. But she came out with this massively anointed prayer. And it's gone into the Bible for all time because it's so legendary. She's a woman of faith, and her son became a great prophet, a very significant prophet. So mums, my plea to you this morning is pray for your children every day, even if they're old, and even if they've gone off on some other path, just keep praying for them, because God hears the prayer of a mother, he really does. Yeah, Solomon, it's a good one, um, 1 Kings 8.54 just one verse again. Read the context in your own time. Um, these notes, by the way, will be on the, um, the church website for downloading. There'll be a link. Now, as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. The reason I picked on this one is because Solomon was a king at the time. He was lord of all he surveyed. Extremely rich. Very wise. But he knew his position before God, which was on his knees. He knew his place. We sang this morning about the king of kings. Solomon knew the king of kings. And he knew that he should be on his knees when he spoke to him. Sometimes our posture is important, guys. You know, sometimes you can't kneel. You can't kneel in the middle of the main road. Okay? But sometimes when you're on your own, you actually need to. And when you're crying out to God, he wants your emotions involved. He gave you those emotions for a purpose. Elijah, as we know, 1 Kings 18, 42, when he went up to the top of Mount Carmel, he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. His posture was significant to God. He was humbling himself. He was an incredibly uh, well-known, famous man. And he could have got proud and said, I'm in control of everything here. I've, I've said it's not going to rain, and it's not. So I'm great. Okay, but he put himself in a position of utmost humility before God because his heart was right with God. Um, fourth one, Hezekiah. Again, a, a king. Um, 2 Kings 20, 4-6. Isaiah had been in and had a word with him. Um, before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Hezekiah really needed that encouragement. God used Isaiah to tell him, how about having 15 years added to your life? <laughs> That's not bad, is it? That's, not, that's better than going to doctors. <laughs> challenge you to go to your GP next week if you go next time you go and say can you add 15 years to my life they might actually say yes stop doing that <laughs> but actually 
This is evidence, you know, that God sees our tears and he cares. Hezekiah clearly had been crying before God as the king. I can't imagine, um, you know, when you look at our royal family, I'm sure that Queen Elizabeth does shed the odd tear. But you can't imagine them breaking down in tears and pouring it all out to God. This is what Hezekiah was doing. He humbled himself to cry before his God because he really felt it. And God saw that and he cared enough to help. Well, see what happened to Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7. This is what happened when the fire really came. Um, As soon as Solomon, this is 2 Chronicles 7, 1 to 3. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. This is the Father's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down, And the glory of the Lord on the temple. They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped. And gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Goes on to say in verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, you know the rest, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. There's two aspects to what I'm saying. We've been called apart. This morning we've got to say, okay, I'm making a choice for my household, for me and my my people, my family. We're going to serve the Lord. We're not going to chase after money and possessions. However, we also want to see God's glory in this place. We want to see people stopping their cars on on the road out there and going, what is it about that place? And having to come in here because of the presence of God. Knocking on the doors, not for food and drink like they do sometimes at the moment, but actually... Because you've got something in here and I need to get in. Tell me about God. Yeah. God wants to demonstrate this to us. And and I believe that there's something we can do today. I realise it's 20 past 12 and I should be finishing. Um, Yeah. I just wonder, um, Jesse, I haven't warned you about this. Is there any chance we could have the music group um, just up, just to play and to worship while we uh, pray ourselves? Because I I know that this fire is here now. I believe that it's significant for us as a church. And I believe we need to pray and do something. And I think it's important this morning that we actually take a step of doing something about that. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to think now of two things. You yourself, think of one thing you want to see finish. It could be a national thing. It could be a very personal thing to you. One thing you would like to see stop. Okay. And think of one thing you'd like to see start. One thing you'd like to see grow. One thing you would like to see happen. So two things. One thing that you want to end. One thing you want to grow. One thing you want to start. Okay. So let's close our eyes, please. If we could just close our eyes, just focus on God as the music plays. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this um, promise that when your fire comes, the glory of the Lord will fill the house. I ask you, Father, to put on our hearts the things that you want to see grow in this land and the things that you want to stop. Yes, God.
Can I also ask if there's anyone here who's had a long-standing prayer that they've been waiting, that you've been waiting for years to see the fruit of it? Just while our eyes are closed, you just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass anyone by bringing you out the front. Just keep your eyes closed, please. Thank you. Just raise your hand if there's something you've prayed for that you want to see a breakthrough in this morning. You'd love to see a breakthrough. Yeah. Wow. Father, we call for the fire. We call for the fire to come and to stop the things that are against you. In Jesus' name. Just think of those things that you want to stop. I believe we're going to see action on this. We're going to see real results. Yeah. Father, for those with their hands in the air, I pray a special blessing this morning. Will you please... Pour out your spirit. Work miracles and wonders in their lives. Right now, in Jesus' name. I release the Holy Spirit into those situations, into those issues. Each hand represents a different miracle that's about to happen. Thank you, Jesus. And as we focus on the things we want to see grow, Father, we call for the spring. Snowing outside today. And we want the spring. We call for the new life to come forward. As we think of those things we want to see start, the things we want to see grow in our families, in our lives, in our nation. We call for the rain. Rain, Holy Spirit. Water the land. Let the new life burst forth from this moment. In Jesus' name. Yes, Jesus. Thank you. God's going to do a wonder. He's going to do miracles. He's going to do things that you've never even thought possible in His grace. And all the glory will go to Him. (laughs) not to us there's nothing we can do there's nothing we can do to fight these battles it's all him 